is from First Colossians, uh, verses 3 to 8. You can find it on page 614. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. know, we have been working through a series here uh, called a peacemaking community, uh, and we've been looking at what, what does it mean for us to be a peacemaking community. Uh, we looked at things like in, in what it means to embrace the peace of God, and also we looked into resolving conflict earlier this summer. Uh, then we looked at passages about how we can encourage each other as, as believers in the Lord and also how we can respond to the Father's mercy. Uh, last week we, look, we looked at forgiveness, and this week we want to take a look at uh, giving thanks unto the, to the Lord, uh, gratitude. Uh, we want to look at that this morning. As we think about, uh, it's such a common practice for us uh, to give thanks, uh, but sometimes we give thanks in a mundane way. And it becomes gross and becomes something that we probably don't think deeply about. But Paul will help us out this morning and dive in deeply uh, around some uh, uh, topics around this subject. And so uh, with that, I want to just pray and, and then lead us in our time. Jesus, I want to thank you this morning that you have given your word to us. And that your word, Father, uh, enables us uh, to see what you are up to in the world. And so it's fitting that we would pray that you would give us new eyes to see and new ears to hear what you have for us in this portion of your word this morning. You are truly our rock and our redeemer. In your name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They were the last words repeated about three times by my friend before he exited the podium. You know, he stood in front of generous donors that made a, a small medical center possible in, at a high school. And his concluding remarks, he actually thanked them about ten times, could have been more. Thank you for being here today. We're truly grateful that you're what you've done. We sincerely thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you again for coming and thank you for your gifts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You made a few remarks and then thanked them finally three times. But have you ever been in a situation like that? Like my buddy old pal, you know, who cannot help but to thank God for what has been done. Or thank those in front of him for their generosity. It just wells up within us uh, to do that quite naturally. When we begin to think about, yeah, what does it mean to, to give thanks? 
we do it all the time. The Bible speaks of it often. But what does it really mean for us to give this type of thanks? And so the Bible makes the declaration that, you know, we are people who were indeed once dead in Christ. We haven't always believed in him. Our eyes haven't always been open to him. And so we are, we are folks who probably enjoy a bit of ingratitude, thinking that life is about us, may have been self-centered in our sins and trespasses. But how could we, who are in sin at one point and dead in our trespasses, how could we offer gratitude, really, outside of the grace of God? And we know this idea of common grace, that God does love all that he has made, and he does give favor to those who are about the earth. Uh, and so there is a sense of God commonly doing good towards people. And so even that would lead to some type of gratitude and thankfulness in God's heart. But now that Christ has appeared and, and saved us, uh, when we begin to think about how much he has done, is doing, and will do, as he promised in his word, the proper response is thanks, gratitude. Every day, if you're like me, we fall short in our thanksgiving towards the only wise God, towards God, being thankful for what he's done, being the one who delivers us from hearts of thanklessness, and he fills our hearts with gratitude. It truly is a work of God that he would allow us to experience this grace so that we can give thanks for what he has done in our lives. And so we can, in turn, give thanks to one another because of that reason. Learn to appreciate each other in the small things, right? And so God has to help us at times, though, uh, and he does so through his word. And, and Paul here is uh, encouraging the saints at Colossae along with his friends, encouraging them in the faith, uh, giving thanks to God for how the gospel has taken root and is growing in their, in their midst. One thing that we notice here at the outset uh, of this passage is that God is indeed the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So God is a particular God. He does not like the gods, the deities of that time uh, that they turn to. He's not the God that says, hey, it's Jesus plus something else, uh, maybe some type of tradition that they lived out during that day. No, he, he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a particular message that he brings to us about who he is here. And that message is wrapped up in Jesus and his image. As it says in Colossians 1 and verse 15 through 20, it talks about Jesus being the image of God, the image of the invisible God. Because God is a spirit, we cannot see him, but he always sees us. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. There's no one like him. He's begotten, the only begotten son of God. And we are in him. For by him, all things were created, right? Things in heaven, which we haven't seen, but we've experienced the love of heaven. 
I have things on earth, which we have experienced. But see, things on earth, uh, there are some visible things and invisible things. And you know, if you're like me, you think, oh yeah, what are the invisible things that we can't see? Are they angels, demons, or, you know, what are these invisible things? Well, if you think about science or make an observation, there are particular bugs that we can't see, right? We have to put things under a microscope at times to see them. Uh, Jesus is over those creating things too. They're invisible to our naked eye. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, Jesus created them too. He's the one that puts people in certain places, in certain offices, to carry out the service of God. And if they don't have Christ, they're going to fail miserably in doing that. Um, God has to intercede by his common grace. Jesus is before all things. It says here in Colossians, and in him all things hold together, the maker and sustainer of the universe. He's the head of the body. He's the image of who we are. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus rose first. That's our testimony, isn't it? That we will be ones resurrected in him one day. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus and to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is Jesus. He points us to God. He shows us God. He is God. He's the one that opens our eyes so that we can believe this, this message that Paul is writing to the saints at Colossae about and, and celebrating really how they have believed in Jesus. And so he is focusing in on how he is grateful for them. And so just like Paul, you know, uh, we must also give thanks for the salvation in the gospel that God has given us. Uh, we must also give thanks for the growth of the gospel that God has given us. And we, we have to give thanks for the messengers of the gospel that Christ has put in our lives. So let's take a look at how we can give thanks for the salvation in the gospel. There in verses 4 and 5, you know, we see the elements of faith, love, and hope. In terms of faith, Paul writes here, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. To believe in Jesus during this time was quite radical. It was in the back, it was in the midst of all kinds of faiths and beliefs about other deities around them. But as we see, even through the book of Acts, like when the saints began to believe in Jesus, the Spirit coming upon them, everywhere they went, they began to spread this gospel message, begin to tell of their faith to other people around them. It's like a wildfire going throughout the nations. And so Paul and his companions heard about their faith in Jesus. And how they were sincere about their faith, earnest in their faith, 
and not moving aside. And as Galatians 5, 6 states, the only thing really that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith is an action. It's oriented. It's on the moves. We live in light of the gospel. We live in light of faith. The next thing we see here is love. He's talking about the love that they have for all God's people. A, 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 really a, a marker of discipleship. And we know Jesus told us that. That, hey, people would know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He loved us first. That is a, a virtue that puts, that's over everything and binds everything in, in perfect unity. This idea of love. So Paul has gratitude for their love, the reports of it that he's hearing, the love that they have for each other. And we know this is not always the case, right, uh, for any type of body, any congregation. It's not always the case that you would hear of their love for one another. We too can get caught up into what they say doing church, being about the business of going church, right, going to church. And so, but when you begin to love, it begins to spread. The news begins to spread and people begin to to hear about, yeah, what those saints are doing over there at Grace Marine Hill and how they are gladly serving each other and caring for each other in meaningful ways. How they are sharing meals with one another and how they are constantly in fellowship. How they are indeed taking care of those that are sick in their midst. How they are extending this sacrificial love by giving their time, which is so precious to us. Right? Working all week, busy, time is limited. There are a lot of things to be involved in. But when we stop and show this type of sacrificial living, loves, then people will look and see that, yes, this Jesus that they proclaim, that they meet about, he has to be real. Because they're countercultural. They're doing something that most people would never do. Walk with one another through the hardships in life. Deep harsh hardships. Being patient, maybe for nine years plus, with a couple walking through hardship. Or with someone diagnosed with a certain illness that can't come to church, but we go and see them. Patient, bearing with one another in love. So he's heard these reports, he's heard the reports of, yes. of uh, the reason for this. And it's because we're high, because of the hope laid up to you in heaven. At first I felt a little bad. Of this, we have heard before in word of truth, the gospel. And this hope is a tangible hope. It's not sort of like this, you know, I hope I will get there if I'm traveling on vacation. I hope I will, you know, get this job. Those things are not living, right? Those are real to us. We, we need to take breaks. We need to do things. So we're we're sort of hoping we throw that word around. But this tangible hope that's laid up in heaven for us is none other than Jesus. The object of our affection. This is the hope laid up in heaven for us. This is the one who has all the promises of God and their yes in him. This is the one who was here bodily formed that we believe in and have a bodily resurrection. 
This is the hope that they have and that we have as well. And it can be it's hard to hold on to, right? Because there are things always pushing against this hope. You know, things that we can have right now in our lives that we can satisfy our cravings with, right? It's like, why look into this hope when you can take care of yourself now? I mean, we can't see Jesus. He promised to come back, but he's not here. Well, I need to take care of myself. But how can we hope in Jesus without sort of casting him off? But keeping this type of hope that, hey, prayerfully so, spiritually so, I can continue to hold on to his promises and not go my own way. I can indeed wait for him to provide for me all that I need. I can wait on this type of hope because there's an expectation there. And it's the expectation of what Christ will do. This is our hope. This was their hope in the midst of a trying situation. Because they had false teachers around them. There are people who were introducing them to other wisdom, other philosophies that they depended on. There are people that were about human tradition, cultural tradition, things that are good, but not things that are a primary for us. Introducing these basic principles to the people at Colossae. And so Paul is sort of like, being grateful that they're not falling into some of these old ways that they may have once uh, lived out. Because these philosophies, they're, they're empty, they're deceptive. Uh, there are many in, in our day, many type of philosophies and ways to believe uh, about who we are. Okay. There are the speculations out there about, yeah, where did we come from? You know, is this an evolutionary type of thing? Or, uh, what, like, who are we really? The Bible answers these questions for us. And so they were trying to answer these false teachers, I think, were misguided people, uh, and tried to have explanations on who the angels were, emphasizes on what are the spiritual powers, the invisible things. Uh, you know, they were just stretching their, their brains to, to try to figure out how to get to God, how to live. Uh, but they were missing the mark because it was man-centered altogether. You know, it was more of the, how can we have this type of asceticism, this self-discipline on ourselves, uh, and a, this a, these in, indulgence of ourselves to make our own way? How can I have my own pride? Uh, in figuring out how things work in the world. And so Paul is encouraging them to move away from this man-made philosophy, uh, this religion, you know, these sort of rules. Uh, he says in chapter 2, verse 20 here, says, since you died with Christ, the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it? Do you submit to his rules? Do not handle, taste, do not touch, these are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands, human traditions. Even coming down to the scripture, it can, we can turn it into like a human tradition instead of the grace of God in our lives. He says these revelations, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They seem to have a, a true knowledge, something that you can stand on. 
but with their, they have a self-imposed worship, a false humility, and a harsh treatment of the Bible. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So we can try out different things, right, to help us to stop doing whatever we want to stop doing. Uh, we can put our bodies through some painful trials, you know, to try to uh, reach a particular physical goal. But Paul is saying here that, hey, these principles of the world, these ways that people are saying you should live and how you should look and what you should do, how you should dress, it's like these things are destined to perish. They don't belong to the people of God. We have to have our conscience clean and we have to have our conscience influenced by the Holy Spirit and what He's doing in our lives and not by the ways of the world and what the world tells us to do. And this is hard, is it not? Because there are things in the world that we do enjoy. There are things that we do give thanks to God for that are, that are great. Uh, just the other day, I was listening to the radio, and it was on a particular Christian station. Somebody called in, and I think they were giving thanks or praise for what God was doing in their lives. And someone called in and said, I'm so happy. You know, I came home, and my husband... Uh, my husband surprised me with a Hummer. And uh, I can't believe he was walking a Hummer. And, uh, you know, my, my first thought was bad, doesn't it? Praise God. Come on. It's materialistic, isn't it? You know? In some ways, right, we need, to, we need to be grateful for what the gifts that we get from one another. Right? But I don't think that we need to maybe continue to put like this sort of health and wealth idea on God. Like, well, God is good. God is good to me because he gave me X, Y, and Z. Uh, we become superstitious in that in, in our minds. We believe that yeah, if I don't act in, in a way of being grateful for what I have, if I don't make sure folks know how grateful I am, then I'm not going to keep receiving blessings or goodness from God. Well, we do need to be grateful and thankful for what God does bring into our lives, but I don't think we need to do this trickery of yeah, testing God to show more of his favor to us, because God leans into us. He wants to show favor to us. He has given us his salvation. He has given us all in Christ. He did not spare Christ, but he gave him up. He's given us the best thing. So we need to let Christ inform our thankfulness. We need to let Christ inform how we are grateful uh, unto God. And also, Paul is writing here to the saints at Colossae, and he's, he's encouraging them to give thanks for the growth in the gospel. You know, he thanks them, for, thanks God for how they are growing in the gospel. And he, he says in verse 6 here, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood all of God's grace. And so all over the world, in this Lycus Valley, uh, in this area of Tur modern-day Turkey, and so the gospel is going out, spreading to Laodicea, spreading to uh, Harapolis, spreading to all the little uh, towns and, and metropolitans around them. It's growing. It works. 
people are believing. And this is so groundbreaking because during this time, right, we know this is an early church, uh, and Paul is going around on his missionary journeys, and he is preaching the gospel to people, and it's taking root, and it's growing. Like, like I said, like wildfire is going out. And so throughout this Locust Valley, you know, there, there are these metropolitan areas. So there are a lot going against the people of God. But even in the face of persecution, being ridiculed, uh, that you believe in one God, you believe in Jesus Christ, wasn't he that criminal that died on the cross? Are you saying he was raised from the dead? That he's in heaven with God now? You can begin to feel the, the push back against the message of the gospel about Christ. And it's something that you can't necessarily prove to people, right? You can't make them see what only God can allow them to see. But you see it, and they see your lives when you live in line of it. They see the fruit that it bears in your life, in your life. You know, the love that's in your life, the joy that the Spirit brings, the peace, the gentleness. You used to be controlling, but now you're gentle. You know, the, the righteousness that God brings in your life. That you don't have to pretend to be someone who has things put together, but instead, you can trust in Him. You can walk into the mess of life and be exposed because you're unashamed, because Christ has paid it all for you. That's a real thing. We don't need to stop the gospel from bearing fruit in those ways. And Paul told them in Colossians 3, right? He said, hey, look, I want you to put some things to death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, you know, if you're struggling with sexual immorality, I want you to put that to death. If you're struggling with impurity and lust, I want you to lay that aside. If you're struggling with evil desires and greed and idolatry, I want you to give it up and let it go. Because these, because of these things, he said, the wrath of God is coming. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repent. And he said, you used to walk in these ways. And the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of these things. You rid yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander, filthy language. Rid yourself. Do not lie to each other. Take off these old practices. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of your creator. Put on the new self. Because look, it's all, it's all level at the foot of the cross. Here, there, there's no Greek or Jew, he says. There, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no sort of this guy from this nation, uh, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But in Christ, Christ is all and in all. And so as chosen people, he's encouraging us. As chosen people, this is how you can continue to bear the fruit of the gospel. Taking off those things, casting aside those things. And as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. Load yourself with kindness and humility. Take the low road. Take the humility road. And with gentleness and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. Forgive the grievances that the other has against you. Forgive as the Lord forgiving you. Overall, these virtues put on love. 
which binds them together. It wins the day for us. And so when we put off and put on these things, right, and put off the old self and put on the new self, we are continuing to bear fruit, the fruit of the gospel. And that's worthy of giving thanks to God for. Because only He can do that. Only He can show us that type of grace. Only He can lather that type of love on us. And we are glad and we it just comes up, right? When the music starts playing, it's not like we're just sitting still. Right? When the, when we see the lyrics and we begin to sing, sing of the thankfulness of the Lord, sing of how God is indeed worthy. It just comes up. It makes us want to run around. I haven't seen them want to do it yet. Some kids, but I'm looking for the day when one of you adults will just get up and just run. Because the gospel has you on fire. Shut up in your bones. Can't hold it in. You have to express it. And that's what God wants for our lives. As you go to work, as you play with your kids, as you have fellowship with one another, that you are led into this type of rejoicing with each other. Because you're giving thanks with your heart and with your life. You're bearing fruit and growing. You know, I was um, early this summer. You know, I was trying to be a farmer. <laughs> I was going to transform my front little plot there into a, a garden. And so it's, it's just something I love to do. I've done it in, in times before. But I'm like, when am I going to get the time to do this? And so I, I, I got some wood from some friends on the farm. And uh, that wood sat on my porch for quite, quite a while. <laughs> Maybe about three weeks uh, or so. Trying to find the time to do it. And there I was one day, building my planter boxes. Sweating in the hot sun. I mean, it kind of felt great. It was relieving to be out there and doing that. But then people would walk by and, uh, and give their comments. Oh, you planted boxes. You're going to grow something. Oh. One guy came by. His name was Mike. And uh, Mike came by. He said, oh, what, what you doing? You know what you're doing there? <laughs> I don't think you know what you're doing. It looks like you're making up as you go along. I said, man, he got me. That's <laughs> exactly what I was doing. But eventually, you know, I accumulated some soil from my, my neighbors, and uh, I didn't have enough soil for all the boxes, so it still was kind of empty, right, like I'm not doing anything. But, um, but I had this question, you know, when I put the plants in the seeds in, like, will, will these plants grow in this soil? Uh, this soil doesn't seem to be, like, rich and nutritious. And so, sure enough, I had my doubts, right, the sun began to beat down on the plants, and you know, they wilted, and they started looking sad. They're just thirsty. And so I put some water on there, and then they became happy again, started standing back up. And so it's amazing what a little water can do, right? Refreshing for your soul. They're revived. And so I wonder if that's the question in our lives like, like God, will I really bear fruit? Will you really bear fruit through my life? Uh, does this matter? Does coming to church matter? Does being involved? Does it really matter, God? Am I just sort of, do people like me here, really? Am I just going through the motions here? Uh, really, Lord, what's, what's going on? Um, we may have those doubts about what God would do through our lives, but we have to stop and look around, right? Where are we giving thanks to God in our lives? What are we grateful for that he is doing? Where's the gratitude in our lives? For everything, every aspect. Are we grateful uh, for how, you know, 
it, it's like having kids, right? When we, we was, it took us a little while to have kids, but then we, God gave us all. And then we started complaining that we had kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not how it's supposed to work, is it? You know? And so, where are we grateful, though? You know, where are we looking to see the goodness of God in our lives? Where are we looking to see where God is bearing fruit in our lives, right? So that we can be grateful for what He is doing, not for what we are doing. God promised to bear this type of fruit. And so we must give thanks for how He has given us salvation. And we must give thanks that God is committed to the growth uh, of our lives, to bear fruit in the gospel. And we must give thanks to God for the messengers of the gospel. Man, this dude, the Pathfors, you know, I, I get the feeling that, man, this guy is like on the move. You know, going to different churches, planting churches, sharing the gospel, and, and he's from Colossae. You know, he's one of them. I, like, this guy, I, I like this guy. He's amazing. You know, he's a, he's a true advocate for the faith. And that's what they learned the gospel from. Paul says, you learned it from the Catholics, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. He's a true advocate of the gospel. He's evangelizing the city, the Micah's Valley, his people. You know, he's like, these are my people, I'm going out to them, sharing the gospel in these different cities. You know, later he, he visited Paul when Paul was in captivity. Uh, just a true, true, true servant of the Lord as well. Faithful, faithfully moving unto God. He said, Epaphras, who is one of you, and he's a, he's a servant of Christ. You know, he, Paul writes about him. He's always wrestling, you know, for prayer for them. Says it in Colossians 4.12. He's wrestling that they may stand firm in the will of God, mature, fully assured. He's also a representative of Paul. You know, he's a faithful minister on their behalf, sharing the gospel. You know, embodying the message, not just doing his duty, but with joy. I, I get that sense that, man, this God is on the move. He's a prayer warrior. 412, Colossians 4.12, you know, he prays for them, wrestling with prayer uh, for them. He's planting churches, like I said. And Paul says in Colossians 4.13, I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's working hard for them, moving about, being convinced of the message of the gospel and living his overflow, giving thanks, giving thanks with his life. The aroma of his life is pleasant and pleasing. I don't know if you guys saw the news, the headlines of uh, Pope Francis, um, but he recently visited Ireland and he celebrated Mass with them, but he was there to meet with the families who had incurred uh, clerical sex abuse. And the, the clerics there, they forced adoptions to some of the members in their church. So he's there to sit with people and to grieve with people, meeting with them. You know, people ask him that he would come. You know, they ask him that he would speak out about this. 
to let all the mothers know that they did nothing wrong when they were forced to give up their children, that it was not a sin that they committed, as the church officials told them that they did. So, he, so they asked him to do these things, to grieve with them, you know, to be a, to, to invite a real hope, right? To be a messenger of truth in some broken situations, you know, to 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 be one who is a, a, a friend to the broken, and that he would hear their voices, that they would know that that God is the one who hears them, that God is the one who cares by them. You know, I don't I don't know. The, uh, Pope Francis, I haven't met him. I don't know what type of life that he lived, but he has an opportunity to be a real messenger of hope with those people. To be one who gives thanks to God for coming into the broken situations of the life of people. And so this is God's word, that he is someone who wants us to give thanks in all circumstances for the salvation that he has given us, right? He, he wants us to be about bearing fruit and, and giving that full gratitude to Him. And also to be the messengers of the gospel, the messengers of the hope. To be like Christ, the, the one who was with God, the one who was God, the one who's God in the beginning. He's the word, the hope that has come. To be like Christ, the, the true messenger, the chief messenger that came down from heaven, that came into this world, this wretched world, to sit with us, to listen to our stories, to grieve with us. He was the one who came to bear the cross, to die on the cross for my sin, for your sin. He's the one who has come, the chief messenger, to let us know that the word of God is living and active. The Word of God can go to places in our soul and our beings to bring us life. He is the chief messenger that sent His Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth so that we would not forget the God that loves us. And so I don't know if you noticed throughout this passage that uh, God heard gospel gratitude from Paul. Because Paul had thanksgiving for what he was doing in verse 3. Paul and his companions heard about the Colossians' belief in the gospel. The Colossians heard the gospel and believed. The nations in the world are hearing the gospel and bearing fruit, verse 6. The Colossians heard the gospel from the pastors. The pastors heard the gospel probably from Paul or someone else. Paul heard the, heard the gospel from Jesus himself in Acts 9, God is hearing it from Paul from these words. We are hearing it from Paul. God is hearing our gratitude from our heart that, yes, Lord, the gospel is real. Thank you for interceding on my behalf. I don't deserve it. I don't, I'm not worthy, but you have come. So God received the glory. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Isaiah 55, 11. God says, my word goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me, Lord, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it was sent. God wants us to live lives of thanksgiving. He wants us to be grateful for what he has placed in our lives. He wants us to be grateful 
and see through the eyes of the hope that we have in Christ. You want us to be grateful and see that the gospel really is bearing fruit and is growing. You want us to be the messengers of Christ going out, living this thankfulness unto him so that he may receive this glory from all people, from all nations, tribe, tongues, Jesus, thank you so much for being with us, leading and guiding us into the truth. God, your word, there is no other name given by which we may be saved. We thank you for your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.